Well, hello. Good to uh, be with you today. Um, what I want to talk about today really kind of flows out of um, our last 10 years in the neighborhood we just moved out of. And so keep that in mind as I talk about what I'm going to talk about today. Because when we moved there, we prayed, God, where do you want us to live? And when he guided us to where we moved, now, what's our assignment here in this neighborhood? And so I realized over the last 10 years, there was many things to learn. Uh, Many of the things I shared today are things that I got to step into because I didn't have some of the responsibilities that my wife did. My wife was taking care of her grandma who just passed away a few months ago at the age of 105. And so she was responsible for grandma who had been legally blind for years. And, and at the age of 99, we finally moved her into a care place. But my wife would drive over to Portland to take care of grandma in a variety of ways. And if you've ever been in that role, you know that that's a tough role. And then her own mom is now 86, and we're temporarily living with her. She has dementia. She's been termed legally blind. That is also a big challenge. And, uh, and she has her own medical issues, and we've been trying to fix up her house and do things that I think she needs to sell it and move to a, to a more manageable place. But my wife has been inundated with care ministry that I didn't have. And so part of what it did is it kind of freed me up to do some of the things in our neighborhood that I did, and I'll come back to that. Okay, enough of that. We have one son. His name's Jonathan. And um, there's a couple of ways that I would really frustrate my son, okay? Uh, here's one. I have a tendency to be overly helpful. Example, we'd be shopping, and he would find a coat or something, and they didn't have his size. So I'd go, well, come on, let's go ask the management if they got any more in the back. Dad. So, and I realized he didn't feel comfortable doing that. Of course, now he's 36 years old, and so don't have those things as much. But, but I, I'm thinking like I'm being helpful, and guess what? He finds it awkward, and I'm just being me, and I'm thinking like, gosh, let's help you, you know? Well, he doesn't like it. We designed and built a house in Richland when I was on staff at a church there, and uh, and we wired it and plumbed it ourselves, did a whole bunch of things because we like doing those kind of things. I wanted in the garage, now there's a few guys here that probably identify this. I wanted an outlet, electrical outlet on every stud in the garage. <laughs> See, I got a, yeah, fist pump. And so that was, that was my goal, you know, and why not? So when you're out there and I'm a tool guy and, you know, wherever, anytime you want electricity, it's just there, right? That's the way it ought to be. 10 o'clock, he's a senior in high school, it's 10 o'clock at night, it might have even been a school night, Dad, you don't need to have an outlet on every stud, because he's putting them in, you know? <laughs> Frustrated. And, and so, learning for me, you know, how do you be the kind of dad you should be, and, and uh, we love him, and he's on a church staff down in Southern California, and I think that that's just a wonderful thing, and but we would talk about these things. But I was thinking about how God chooses to use people where he could just do everything himself and do it perfectly, you know? We find it right in the beginning of Genesis when God creates, you know, uh, man, it says that he puts them, lets them rule over all that he's created. 
And you just think like, man, God makes this incredible creation. And then he allows him and says, you guys are going to rule over it. We find in stories like where uh, Joseph, you know, in jail for like 13 years of his life and everything looks so um, dim and hopeless, etc. But he raises him up and, and we don't want to miss this. He asks this question and I think the answer is yes. You know, am I in God's place? It's like he is. He is the representative of God in this whole situation, steering this incredible nation that ends up being so beneficial for the children of Israel. But what a responsibility. We know when Moses saw the burning bush and he's talking to God there and God says, I have heard the cries of the children of Israel and, and I'm going to come and do something about it. You know what Moses is feeling? Yes. He's excited until you get to this part. Therefore now, I will send you to Pharaoh. Oh, wait a minute. God, you, can, you take care of this, but oh, what's my part? And, and it's just amazing that God is going to work this way in an amazing way. And of course, we're dependent upon the Lord. We find with the whole nation of Israel that they were to be, as a representative of God, a light to the nations, an amazing responsibility. And so here's God working through them. And, uh, and I think this is amazing. Then we get to this incredible event in life. It's called the incarnation, where God comes in the flesh. It's when Jesus shows up. And we find here in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten of, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, many things about this passage, uh, I'm going to just touch on a few, but here God comes, the Emmanuel, God with us, and, um, and what we find here is a, a statement here that we, we don't want to miss when it says the word became flesh, um, God the Son became something that he wasn't before. And so you look at where he came from and all the glory and perfection, then he shows up at this place with all of its issues, a very, very different place. And he, this Greek word, ginomai, to become something. He becomes something that he wasn't before. And not only that, but he's here to show off the God of the universe. And so it's like this, people, look at me and you will see what the God of the universe is like because that's who I am and you don't need to ask us to show you who the Father is like because you know what? I so perfectly represent Him, you can't get a clearer picture. And so there was like all eyes upon Him. I, I so much like the way First John starts out about talking about this, this word that came uh, Christ, that they, they looked upon him and they beheld him and our hands handled this word of life. And so it was, it was so clear, it was so visible. And, and part of it is that he used to just exist with the Father as pure spirit, and now he has manifested himself and become incarnate in flesh. And this was a real challenge to me as we moved into our new neighborhood, and I was thinking about this, and here's something, if you don't get anything from the, this message today, I would like you to get this. 
I came to the conclusion that I was supposed to be on the move and sort of on the cruise in our neighborhood with this idea. I think people needed to be around me. They needed to be around me. And with Christ, how did Christ operate? Did he say, okay, I'm sending out a telecom? Or you haven't heard of email yet, but I'm going to jump forward 2,000 years and just send stuff out? No, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, follow right in close. It's that drawing people around us. And one of the things that really hit me, and if you think about nothing else after being here today, would be this, to think about yourself as one who wants to closely follow the Lord and with the idea that people need to be around you. That's how it happens. That's how you get to be the influence. That's how the relationship grows. They need to be watching you and see what this person who knows Christ is like, how they make their decisions, what are their interests, how do they handle tough times and good times, etc., etc. As Jesus came to be on display, guess what? I think that's what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be out there and have people be around us so that they can see those things. So, listen to this out of 1 Corinthians. Talk about becoming something you're not. For though I am free of all men, I made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. Here it is. To the Jew I ginomai, I became Okay, as a Jew. What's interesting is what nationality was Paul? He's a Jew. So why does he say, like for me, to the white people, I became white? He's just kind of like, well, you're kind of white to me to start with. (laughs) But you know what? In one sense, I can be more white. I can relate more to what white people, what it's like to be a white person, right? And here... He's saying, you know what, I know I'm a Jew, but you know what, I'm going to really pursue the things that are really important to Jews, that I might win the Jews for those who are under the law as under the law, though not myself uh, under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without law, and he goes on to the weak, it became weak. This part, I have become all things to all men so that I may be my, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. You notice every one of these is a people-to-people experience. It doesn't say, and then what I did is I mailed a package to Greece. No, he would show up. And so to the weak people, he didn't delegate it out. He's going to interact with them. And, and do as much relating as possible. But notice in this, it's got this ginomai, this becoming something that he wasn't. Because he wants to have an effect as a result of that. And so, uh, in our neighborhoods, and, and later on this morning, I think it's called Pathfinders, is that it? I'm supposed to teach a class down there. And we're going to do a second look at the Good Samaritan story, because there's much to glean there. So if you're hanging around and don't have a place to go, room one or something like that, okay, just follow us. We're lost, wandering around, and, and we'll get there. 
But, but this is so important. It's the whole idea of becoming something that we're not. Because I think so often we say, well, that's not me. Or, or I don't feel comfortable with that or this or that. And um, um, I had an incredible experience with our son about six months ago because we're in this transition. And I said, Jonathan, I would like it if I could have a conversation with you. And he's down in the southern part of California and we're up here. But I would like your evaluation of your dad. Okay. And so, and he goes, well, I'm on the road because he drives an hour each way. I can talk right now. I wish I could have recorded it because he did an evaluation of me that, wow, it was, uh, I quickly started taking notes and things like that. But one of the things that he said is, dad, it's like you don't have any filters. Now, now let me, let me, uh, let me explain this a little bit. He goes, it seems like you're willing to just go up to anybody. In, in like engage and uh, and I would like to think that I am I've even gone up to people I go hey didn't we know them from such and such a ministry so I'll go up to somebody in the store and find out it's not them <laughs> those are the ones my wife loves the most yeah <laughs> I've never seen any of you ah, being attacked you know it's a weirdo so but uh, but it's it's like can't the spirit of God work in us to adapt a little bit. Paul is talking about here about adapting to win. I'm willing to become something I'm not. Can we pray, God, I think that uh, they're this way. I need help. Give me insight in that. Give me a willingness. Maybe we can read up on something, whatever. But here the emphasis is adapting to win. Come alongside people. Enter their world. In the incarnation, part of what happened is that Christ came into a world, their world, our world. wasn't his world. He enters our world. And part of what we need to do is, in the whole incarnational thing, it's, it's entering people's worlds, their interests, etc. There's something else, you know, and we're in a culture, is the trust high in our culture or is it low? It's low. So you know what I think it takes? I think it takes people a lot of time and a lot of observing to find out, are you genuine or not? Are you just a talker? Or are you just religious? Or are you just trying to push something on me? Or are you really interested in me? Do you really care about me? And you know what? People are watching us. They are watching us. And if we can over and over again come through with kindness and, and a willingness to help and a good word or, or get back uh, to somebody, uh, we got a call Two days ago, a lady that we started a relationship who's a waitress in this, in this restaurant, clear back when we were ministering in Alaska, we would come in, we'd be down here and we'd go to this oriental um, eating place. And I have a ring here that was from Patty's dad. He worked for Heister Forklift. And so I've got these forklift things on this ring. Here's, he worked there over 40 years and every year he got a diamond. So I got his ring. It's got four diamonds on it. She remembered this ring and the fact that we were ministering in Anchorage. After a year, I'm like, wow, how did you remember that? Well, we found out her husband had cancer. So we said, hey, you know what? We'd like to pray for your husband. She goes, oh, that'd be wonderful. Well, she called to say her husband's doing so much better. And I had our church people pray, and I would contact her from time to time. 
So I get this call out of the blue. He's doing so much better. He's now driving. He's still on chemo and stuff. But she said, I want you to know this, that I have two chickens. And my mom called me and said, one of your chickens died. Chicks just came hatch. It died. And I go, oh, so I, I went home. And there's the chick laying there, and I picked it up, and it was cold. And so I took it over, and I put it under a light. And I said, God, which I don't think she's really a believer, would you show me your power? And after five minutes, guess what happened? The chick came alive. She goes, the chicken came alive. And I said, that's amazing. She goes, I asked God to show me his power, and he did. And she's, um, I think she's Taiwanese. And so when you listen to her, it's very broken English. So I'm, but I'm getting almost the whole story, you know. So we're hoping to go by the restaurant this week because her hours changed. And, and we were living in Vancouver. And so, but uh, a small connection. And um, anyway, a cool thing. There's something else in this passage before I leave it that I don't want us to miss. He says at the end, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now, I grew up, when I heard the word gospel, I thought about something like the four spiritual laws. You have someone that doesn't know Christ. In there is the message of the gospel. You know that man is sinful and Christ paid the penalty for our sins and we need to trust what he did for us on the cross, ask his forgiveness, trust him as Savior, And that's what the gospel meant to me. I came to realize, pretty soon in my Christian life, which is good, you look at your Bible, how big is it? It's lots of pages, right? And the gospel is this unfolding message of how we are to be transformed to be like Jesus. And so that message about trusting him as Savior is like the entrance. It would be like this. What if somebody told you, you know what my favorite part of Disneyland is? And you'd go, what? Well, after I pay my, how much does it cost to get in now? $125? Okay. So after I pay my $125, I go through the gate, and I find the nearest bench, and I just go sit there all day. Really like Disneyland. And then somebody could go like this. Do you know that there's more to it than that? There's more in there. And if you said, really? Well, I just kind of like the bench. We would think like, no, wait a minute. There's something missing here, you know. But when it comes to the gospel, we're like that. We look at it as this entrance thing. Okay, we, we got in. We have a relationship with the Lord now, and we're going to heaven. But it's kind of like, no, there's so much more to experience because God is in the process of making us to be like Jesus. And so, even in our neighborhoods, in things that he would like us to become, to represent him more and to have more opportunities to lead people to Christ, is part of the gospel changing us and becoming something that we're not. And so, when he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, this part, so that I may become, ginomai, a partaker of it. Because we might go, well, I thought Paul was a Christian. Well, he's a Christian. But you know what he's saying? There's so much more to the gospel. And I want to participate in that. But guess what? If we're not saying, God, use me. If we're not ginomai becoming more things that God can use us in that respect. Guess what? 
we are not experiencing more of the gospel. And I'm just wondering if too many Christians have sort of a myopic gospel experience and they're content with that. Isn't that it? I've come to know Christ. I'm trying to be good. And I know some Christian people and they're pretty good and we have some good fellowship and stuff. Wait a minute. Is that what Paul's saying here? No. It's much bigger than that. And so God, you know, we can learn from this that I may become a partaker of more of what God saved me for. Listen to this part too out of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it may be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any light does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the, the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know what this is talking about? Being out there. Doing things that people can take notice about. Listen to this about something God has sovereignly done. Ephesians 2.10. If I asked you what's Ephesians 2.8 and 9, you could probably quote those. For by grace we've been saved through faith. Okay, we know that. Now when we get to verse 10, we may not know that as well. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, we don't have as many guys here, so can I ask the guys to do something? Do you have a bulletin or a piece of paper or a book, something you could have in your hand for a second? Okay, could you just hold those up quickly? Just hold them up. Okay, see those things that are being held up? Okay, put them down for a second. Now, here's what this passage teaches, and it's got an amazing truth here. It says that God prepared works beforehand in a tense of an action that he did in the past. Okay? So those works are out there. So it'd be like this. Okay, guys, put up your little things so you can see. So see those things that are sticking up? So here's me. I'm walking through life. And here's the closest guy right here. Okay. We're, go ahead. You're doing a good job. So I'm walking along. And here's one of the things that God has prepared that I would walk in. That's what it's saying. But then it says that, I'm, that we may walk in them. It's, in a, it's, in, it's called a subjunctive mood. It's one of those things where, you know what? I can also not do it. I can do it, or I may not do it. So I may go like this. Oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And I go this way. So much for that one. And then I go like this. Oh, no, here's another one. Oh, here's a, something I should engage Ah, it doesn't fit my schedule right now. So we walk by that, and so on and so on. Okay, thank you. Did very good. The other guys, if they were here, they would be proud of you. So it says that we may walk in them, and there's one of these after another, after another, after another. And in my neighborhood, I just wanted to say, God, I believe they're there. Help me to see them. Help me to engage them. Does that make sense? People... If you know Christ, guess what? God's prepared them. They're out there. And we don't want to just go, well, I have all my things that make me eliminate all kinds of them. 
And God, I think, would say, there's more to the gospel to be experienced. There's more of my power to be experienced. I want to share something else here. And, um, and after this, you might say, you know, I wasn't sure about that guy, and now I know I don't like him. So <laughs> how do you pray for lost people? All right. So I started a study. Here's what I did. I've got what I consider the best Greek-Hebrew program on my computer. It's called BibleWorks. It's an exegetical program. It's wonderful. I use it all the time. And I started studying prayers. After 540 prayers in the Bible, I came to some conclusions. We're used to, when it comes to lost people, praying prayers like this. Lord, I pray that you would save whoever they are. Lord, I pray that you would open their heart. Uh, uh, Those kind of prayers, right? Do you know what? You can't find a prayer like that in the Bible. And I've come to this conclusion, those are not the kind of prayers we're supposed to be praying. The only thing even close is found in Romans, where Paul says, my heart's desire and my prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. That's as close as you get. And I think what's happened is we have been praying something that's just really God, what God's job is anyway. But guess what? We haven't been praying the prayer about what our real job is supposed to be. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 9. Seeing the people who felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, pray that their hearts would be open. Pray that they would be saved. Does he say that? What does he pray? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So he's saying, you know what? I'm looking back to people that I'm going to work through to bring others to Christ. He doesn't pray a prayer that so commonly we would pray, open their hearts, I pray that they would be saved, those kind of things. Notice in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God would open uh, up to us a door for the word. And this is so significant because the way God works is, we'll find here, the prayers that I found, and there's lots of them, have to do with us being presenters. You live it, you speak it, You obey the Lord. You represent him that way. That's what our job is to give to people. And what does God do? He takes the message of his word and brings people to himself. God will do his job. We don't have to pray about his part. So it goes on here that um, God will open a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in a way I ought to speak. Notice you've got speaking, and a manner of speaking. Conduct yourselves with wisdom and outsiders. Our conduct, making the most of every opportunity. Remember the thing with the uh, guys holding up the different uh, pieces of paper here? Make the most of every opportunity. Those opportunities are out there. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. No one likes a crab, no one likes a negative person, a carper. 
so that you will know how you should respond to each person. He could have just cut to the chase and said, well, there's lots of lost people out there. Let's just pray they get saved. Let's just pray that God would save them and open up their hearts and change their minds and stuff like this. People, I think that's not what the Bible teaches. But most of us have grown up with that. If we would just say a prayer, a prayer like this one, and there's more of these in the scriptures, or like Jesus, God, use me today. What are the opportunities? Here's something I did pray for my neighborhood. I got it out of Jeremiah. When they were heading into exile, the false prophet said, hey, don't have anything to do with those people. Kind of camp out, be your own isolated group, etc. That was not the word from the Lord. Here's the word from the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, like move into a neighborhood, plant gardens, and eat their produce, Take wives and become, uh, excuse me. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons. This is a course of the Jewish nation, and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not uh, decrease. Here it is. Seek the welfare, literally Hebrew shalom, which is the peace and welfare. Seek the shalom of the city where I send you into exile, and pray the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will have shalom. And I would pray this, as well as other things for our neighbors in our neighborhood, because I would tell neighbors, hey, I'll pray for that. I'd like to pray for that. And so I'd tell them, then I'd get back to them, hey, what's been going on, etc. But you know what? Talk about a neighborhood, wow, just a wonderful neighborhood. Um, we only had one conflict with a neighbor. It had to do with where they parked. But three of us neighbors went over and said, hey, you know what? Is there a reason why you can't park in front of your house? <laughs> you always park in front of their house. And guess what? They ended up just parking in front of their house. And that was over. And that was the biggest conflict we've had in our neighborhood. I mean, it's amazing. Before I share a couple other things, I want to I do this. I think that we have a love struggle, okay? So I want to explain it this way. We know that when Christ is asked, what's the greatest commandment of the scriptures? Commandment single. He always gives how many answers? Two. He says to love God with all your heart and then to love your neighbor as if they were you. I think that's what it's really saying. I don't think he's saying love your neighbor because you first have to love yourself, then you can really love your neighbor. I don't think that is supported by the scriptures. But what you find is love your neighbor as if he were you. I think that's what he's really teaching. So a question that I was dealing with in our neighborhood was this. How do my neighbors know I care for them? How do, my neighbor, how do your neighbors know that you care for them? And you might say, well, I never bother him. I'm like a non-existent whatever. So I don't cause any trouble. I mean, I could be dead. And they wouldn't know it. Um, then they'll definitely not know if you care for them or not. You know? but, but how do they know? How do they know you care? Um, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to show some slides of a neighbor that we developed a relationship with in Alaska. This guy came out of being high up in the Mormon church. Decided it was a bunch of hooey. 
His dad was a professor at Brigham Young. He went to Brigham Young, really smart, eye surgeon. His wife is his nurse. Uh, we became good friends. We knew him about two months, and they said, hey, you want to go on a vacation with us? And we are like, what? <laughs> and we did. It was crazy, and it was fun. Became really good friends, and uh, had probably one of the longest witnessing experiences of our lives, because we went camping. We did all kinds of things. Did a lot of marriage counseling with them and with our kids, and uh, pretty wild, and uh, but they never professed faith, just not. Uh, Dave thinks it's all a bunch of hooey. And so uh, we're like, okay, but you know what? That was a good sharpening for me because we had discussion after discussion after discussion. Well, we get, a, we, uh, get an email a couple days ago that says, our son has just moved to Houston a month ago. And it's got pictures, and we'll show those to you in just a second. Well, I guess we can show those now. Are those coming up next? Yeah. So uh, if you can see this, this is their... It's kind of hard, but you can see the water down here in the neighborhood. Next one. This is his home. There's his nice, expensive truck, toasted. This is in their house. You can see the water line just below the glass in the door. Couch is probably floating. The bedroom, you can see the water there. Here he is. Now, he is a special ops guy, okay? He swam to his house and rescued his two kids and then swam to two other neighbors' homes and rescued their families. This guy jumps out of C-130s with a parachute, and, and he's the kind of guy that when you hear about these incredible rescues that guys do that are specially trained, he's one of them, okay? He's just, yeah, and he got his kids and put them in here and towed them away. Okay, there's his kids. Do we have something else? And this is his front door. See the 803? Then that was on a Thursday, a week ago Thursday. And then after two or three days, it only went down like this far. And now the water's down. So I called them and said, hey, man, we got your pictures and, and stuff. And so we were talking to, uh, to her. And uh, since we helped them remodel two homes in Alaska, they had just moved into a home. And uh, after they were neighbors across the street and... Uh, I had all these tools. I said, hey, Dave, why don't we take all my power tools and set them up in your garage and we can start remodeling your house. He goes, oh, great. So that was how we develop, I developed this relay. And Patty, you know, we go over there and work on their home. And it was great hanging out. And, and we didn't know anybody in Alaska when we were out there. So we have to start meeting neighbors and start growing relationships. And so that's what we did. She said, Jack, I'll buy you a ticket to Houston if you want to come down and work on my son's home. You know, but in her deal said, please pray for them, you know. And so, you know what? People are watching this. Just very cool. Here's another hurdle that I think we have to get over. Then I just want to share a couple personal things and call it quits here. But um, I think we have this love fear hurdle that we have to get over. I kind of demonstrated, you know, as I'm walking along and I see the different pictures that are being held up. One of them's like, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I like to say, hi, how are you today? You know, we might think like, well, you know, across the street, it's going to be awkward. <laughs> well, not for me. And, uh, and so, you know what? Nine out of ten live through that experience. <laughs> the church that I came out of, do you know your neighbors? Well, I don't really know my neighbors. Well, is there a way you can get to know your neighbors? Well, I don't know. I never see them. Well, have you ever thought of knocking on a door and saying, Hi, I'm Jack. And uh, one of our neighbors just moved in. She was pregnant. 
their lawn got to be this big, young couple. So I said, hey, I went over and said, hey, I'm Jack, and I just was wondering, you have a new child coming? Could I mow your front lawn as a welcome baby gesture? She goes, sure. So I mow their lawn. Next day, they show up with cupcakes at our place. And off goes the relationship. Turned out to be very neat Christian people. But you know what? It's, it just starts. Let's try something. But listen to this. We hesitate because we're afraid. Okay? But you know what? I believe that way too many of us, I'll put this in a sin category, have accepted fear as a legitimate reason to not do something. Well, I feel, it's not me. I feel uncomfortable. What about Ginnamai? Becoming something you're not. All right? Listen to this. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. I think a big reason why we don't go is we come up short when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he gives two answers. You know what? We don't really care for that neighbor. We don't love that neighbor. And we've accepted that disobedience to the second greatest commandment as acceptable for Christians. And guess what? We are shooting ourselves in the foot. We are shooting the opportunities of experiencing more of the gospel, blowing that out the window. We are not representing the Lord who, for God so loved the world, we're not representing him well. And we have accepted that is okay because here's the criteria. doesn't feel like me. It doesn't feel comfortable. One of the things I learned about when Jesus went to the cross, it felt comfortable. Well, let's have two nails in that hand. Let's go for two nails here. You know, we, we can jump ahead to the real steps to reach people. And gosh, it's, I mean, we don't have anything to say. But for us, we can say, God, empower me in a new way. Now I want to do something I've never done before, and I'll try to do it quickly. Here's things I learned about my neighbors. Read these fast. We have a hairstylist, one who deals in cannabis sales. You know what that is? Uh, A vet, a doctor, I mean a brain surgeon up at OSHU in residence, a skilled pipe fitter, uh, somebody who works at a title company, uh, a band teacher at Clark, and I went over and watched him teach, and I said, man, you are a good teacher. Uh, somebody in special ops, and we had him come to our church, and we prayed for him. He's actually a believer before he went over there and his family. Somebody who adopted a child. Uh, we have two new babies in that neighborhood in 2017. We have a guy who writes plays, and they're filmed down in Southern California, an electrician. We have four teachers, a lawyer, two speech therapists, two realtors, uh, one who worked for the Timbers and gave us free tickets and we went to the, one of those games. That was pretty wild. Um, software developers, we have two of those in our neighborhood. Uh, an optometrist who has had back surgery like Patty and they talk and we're close, um, who just said this week, gosh, we miss you guys. You are the motivators for the neighborhood. That was quite a compliment. We want to have you over for dinner. Um, one who sells building materials, one who deals with transporting goods, a nurse, um, I think I already mentioned a machinist, um, one who worked for Freightliner, uh, one who worked for Waterworks of Vancouver, an x-ray technician, 
a girl who went away after high school to Colorado to get her degree in chemical engineering, someone who works for Warehouser Wellhauser up in Longview, paper company, um, eight families who are believers, uh, one experiencing, uh, we have a neighbor experiencing mental illness, we have three that have fa- been facing divorce, and uh, uh, we have four dogs in our neighborhood, Chewbacca, Cookie, Rio, and Dala. <laughs> but we also have my favorite, Jack. And I, one of the things that I did is I always have my garage door open and I was in the garage a lot, you know. And Jack would get out of his house and come over and run in our garage sometimes. So I'd do this, Jack, get back here. So I'd come out and go, I'm sorry, I'm coming. Anyway, uh, I like Jack. So um, a guy who owns a boat that's got the Volvo Penty engine and the double props. And I just saw his boat, so I stopped and I said, boy, this is a cool boat. And so a guy who's got a hot rod, and when you start it up, almost the whole neighborhood falls down. And uh, so I go down there and go, man, Joe, this is an amazing hot rod. Tell me about it. So he'd like to talk about it. A policeman, a mortgage broker, um, um, a CNA. We have Russian people, Filipino people, Hispanic people, and Romanian people in our neighborhood. And, uh, and uh, last a year ago, we put on a... I worked with some of the neighbors, and we put on a uh, barbecue. Seventy of our neighbors showed up. Guess where we had it? In the middle of the street, you know, and because our neighbors hang out in the street and talk, and it was pretty fun. And so we did this. Seventy of our neighbors came, and the guys, the band teacher, uh, set up uh, speakers and had some cool music playing. And then I don't know if it was him or somebody else saying, uh, why don't I have people introduce themselves? This was very interesting. I thought, whoa. So we had a microphone. People, one after the other, said, well, I'm such and such, and here's where I work, and I've got this many kids, and one of my kids is going to this school. And, that. and I sat there, and I go, you know what? People want to be known. They want to be known. That thing went on for like a half an hour while people told their stories right there in public. And I thought, you know what? People want to be known. And it was, it was just very cool. Here's things I tried. I said, Hi. I learned their names, starting with the dogs, like Jack. But, you know, they go by and I go, hey, how's Rio, the dog? You know what? They want to talk. Oh, Cookie, how you doing, Cookie? And then they would want to talk, real easy. Um, There's actually two more dogs. I never learned uh, Ed and Cindy's dogs' names. They had two, two or maybe too many for me to learn. but. But I would roam the neighborhood I'd have my garage door open. I'm a tool guy. I'm always fussing with something in the garage. I would loan tools. Uh, I loan tools to just about every neighbor or help them on a project. Fix a fence. Fix plumbing. We got a knock on the door one night. It's 10 o'clock. We're in bed. I go put on some clothes or go down there. It's a lady across the street. Her husband's in special ops. She goes, my kitchen's flooding. I go, okay, come on, Patty. So we throw on her clothes and we go over there and we repair her plumbing under her sink. You know what I thought? I'm so glad that she felt comfortable to run over the middle of the night, knock on our door, and ask us for help. And, um, but um, fishing, I'm into fishing. So I went fishing with four of my neighbors. I'd ask them, and I knew this one guy, because we went fishing many times. One of these days, he's going to say, so, how'd you become a pastor? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to share the gospel. One day we're fishing, he goes, so, how'd you become a pastor? Bingo! <laughs> you know? But I was ready, and it, and it, and it worked. And um, um, 
things would come up as they would cheer. I'd say, I'd like to pray for that. And uh, some came for counsel and different things. One guy was over for about the first year with one theological question after another. Um, I presented the gospel to two of the people. Two of the people came and visited our church. Um, and um, anyway, just involvements. Here, what I felt were some of the rewards personally. One person said to me, you know what? You're the pastor for our neighborhood. And I just thought, well, I liked hearing that. But part of me is thinking, isn't that the way it ought to be? And then two of them said, I think in regards to Patty like, you guys are the captains of the block. We got a, a letter from one of them after we left, and they said that too. You're the captain of our block. And I didn't quite get this one, but one said, have you met the new neighbor? And I said, no. And they said, well, I told him, you got to meet the block boss. A high school girl graduated. We went to her little party. She wrote us a card. And every time she'd walk by, I'd, I'd say something to her, you know, and talk with her. She wrote on the card, thank you for talking. And I know Patty talked with her many times. And Patty talked with her mom and, and et cetera. Girl across the street, three years old. I didn't know this, but she said, you know, Jack, at night when I can't sleep, I stand up in my crib and watch you work in the garage. I'm like, really? And uh, so part of the thing when people spoke on the microphones, one guy said, I remember the day I met Jack. It's the day he came and offered to help me put in my sprinkler system. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, I guess I did do that. And so... um, But... um, I think people, getting back, I was at one of the neighbors and their high school daughter was graduating. She goes, I'm so glad you're here because I want to invite all the neighbors. And she goes, and you know who they all are, so who are they? (laughs) And she gets out her tablet. And I was kind of thinking, you know, you can meet neighbors as well. But so I just thought, well, I'll just take that as a compliment and I'll just tell her who the neighbors are. And and, uh, anyway, we also had an activity in January and I put up these poster deals we actually used two homes we had about 30 neighbors come to that in the middle of winter it was pretty cool and um, and um, I said hey would you guys be willing to share your names and emails and phone numbers guess what they all signed up and I got all their phone numbers and emails and I thought you know what this is so cool just as far as communicating but I think part of it they just wanted to they wanted to be close. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, where do we go? How do we wrap this up? I can tell you something about yourself. You know Christ. God wants to glorify himself by using you. You know? And, um, and you have to ask yourself, do I believe that with God's spirit I'm really usable? Well, the answer is, yeah. How does God want you, with family, with neighbors, with coworkers, or whatever, how does he want you to begin to enter these people's world? And I believe this. I believe it takes time. 
lots of exposures, dopey and hurry. But I think we've got to ask ourselves, do I really care for these people? And if we don't, we have to say, God, give me your love. Help me to see them as if they were me. Where's the most obvious place to begin? And you know what? Before today's over, you might call somebody or go knock on a door. I stopped one day, and the guy, this guy's a salesman, ever's around, so he's out front watering. So I just pulled up right on his curb, and I said, hey, I don't think we've ever met. And when I left, you know what he said? Thank you for stopping and introducing yourself. I think people want to be known. I know this too. The Spirit's at work, and guess what? God has mapped out all kinds of opportunities Will we take hold of those. How about I pray while the worship team comes up, and um, Lord, part of what's on our mind is um, these incredible storms that our country's facing. But I find myself praying for your people that they might take advantage of this opportunity to serve in a new way. Um, Give them boldness and opportunity and save them from thinking just about their own plight. And may the way they conduct themselves, Lord, be a real fragrance of your spirit and may it uh, bring glory to you and be a, uh, the witness that you use to lead people to yourself. And for us, Lord, uh, help us to desire a greater work of the gospel in our own lives by saying, God, use me, empower me, and may I say yes to the many opportunities we face in a given day. Thank you that Jesus came and did all that. Thank you for hearing us. Amen.